Welcome to the Everyday Lions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons. This week I had my interval training group do a tempo and some Lions Avenue hills. Uh, I've always thought the Lions Avenue would be a great spot to do some, some hills and it turned out that it was pretty good. I think my athletes enjoyed that and it's been great. I think there's been a little bit of improvement in fitness for my runners. And if you are looking for a running group, please consider Everyday Lions online running, coaching, interval training. It's only $10 a week and that includes two sessions. Uh, on Sunday, the local Mirkoff running group uh, held a handicap race over 10 kilometers and it was great seeing so many runners run some personal best. The marks were uh, set up by Brian Stewart and it also had some great support from the UTAS Athletics Club and, and Tracy Canham and they uh, put some sponsorship forward and uh, 214 marathoner Nick L came up from Hobart to support the event as well. On a personal note it was great seeing close mate Josh Harris back in some form and he broke 31 minutes and uh, took an equal fastest time with Nick so that that's fantastic uh, seeing so many, runners, so many runners run well. Uh, I made a video for this event and it's on my Facebook page if you'd uh, like to check that out just under Everyday Lions. Uh, in regards to events, don't forget to enter the Ross Marathon, that is in 11 weeks time. Tracy Cannon and her team would, I'm sure they'd love to see you there. Uh, Everyday Lions has some exciting news as well. Uh, down the track we'll be offering some free entries available for this event. And uh, I'd, I'd really appreciate if you'd support this event uh, because it's great to do some collaboration with Tracy and her team. So do think about entering it. They have a 10 kilometer, a 21 kilometer, and a full marathon. On Sunday night just gone, I did a live podcast with Leon Saltmarsh. Uh, I've been a big fan of Leon for many years. He's been one of my running role models growing up and I always knew uh, how quick Leon was uh, back in the day and he's doing some fantastic things with some junior athletes in Burnie. Um, he has as many as 20 runners who train with him over the summer. Uh, like I said, Leon was a great runner back in the day and, and hearing all about his career and the passion that he has for this sport is fantastic. Uh, this podcast will be available for download as well uh, in the next few days and I recommend listening to it. Leon, such a, such a gentleman and, and I just love the way he goes about it. So yeah, check that out. Um, be out in the next few days. Personally, I'm still sober, which is great. I'm still adjusting to this new medication. I think there's been a, a, a slight increase in my mental health, which I, uh, I'm just grateful, basically. It's, okay, on to this week's guest. This week's guest is Jack Hale. Uh, Jack probably doesn't need an introduction, but I'll do it anyway. Jack first stormed onto the scene as a 16 year old, running 10.44 and breaking the Australian under, under 18 record. Uh, he went on to break Matt Shervington's under 20 Australian record. He has competed at World Youths, World Juniors and the Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast. Uh, he currently has a PB of 10.12 in a legal tailwind and in my opinion he is not far off breaking 10 seconds for the 100 meters. I really enjoyed this 
podcast and there is a lot of maturity and wisdom in Jack's words. We go right back from the start as a junior athlete to right now. Uh, Jack's a great bloke. I appreciated his precious time in doing this podcast. We talked for over 90 minutes and it was just awesome. Uh, If you enjoy the podcast, please reach out to Jack on his Instagram pages and Facebook pages that he mentions later in this podcast. Uh, Yeah, here we are. This is Jack Hale. I'm Brian Lyons and this is the Everyday Lyons Podcast. Welcome to the Everyday Lions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons. Today's guest doesn't need any introduction at all. Uh, You would have been living under a rock if you haven't heard of Jack Hale. He first stormed onto the scene as a 16-year-old, breaking the Australian under-18 record for 100 metres. He's represented Australia at the World Youths, the World Juniors and the Commonwealth Games, and also broke Matt Shervington's under-20 Australian record. He currently has a personal best over the 100 metres of 10.12, and it won't be long, in my opinion, until he breaks some magical 10 seconds. Welcome to the Everyday Lions podcast, Jack. Beautiful. Thanks for having me. Thanks no having worries, me. mate. How has your day been? Oh, mate, I've been fantastic. I've been up too much, doing a bit of coaching. Uh, not, not much training on my Sundays, so it's uh, good to have the day off, have that day locked in throughout the week. But no, been pretty chill. And Sunday's your easiest day of your training week? Yeah, so Sundays are my only real day off. So I, I generally train six days a week. That could be from anything from a pretty intense lack of session to this chilled sort of recovery, sprint-based flow Great. session. So anything from sort of two ends of the spectrum, I suppose. Yeah. Well, we are a running podcast. Can you tell me how you got into the athletics? <laughs> Mate, you're, you're, you're a running podcast, but... I, I'm not. I'm not a real runner. I don't. I don't do much over the hundred meters. How did I get into athletics? I um, look. I I actually went down to the local little ass track back in the day. I, I think I was eight or nine years old. I, I really enjoyed it. I think because from my window we could actually see little ass events happening at the Claremont Little Athletic Centre. Uh, obviously every Saturday morning, and I sort of asked Dad if we could go down. He was happy, and I was like, "All right, mate." We're signing me up. Let's do it. And he was, uh, no, he was wrapped with that. And it sort of sprung from there. But I suppose uh, that was my introduction to athletics. But it it sort of was a bit up and down, which I'm sure we'll get into later in the podcast. But yeah, my my initial initial, uh, introduction to us was an eight, nine-year-old and under nine back at Claremont Little Ass. Yeah. And were you automatically speed? Did you always have speed as a junior? No, I think um, I think it's probably fair to say I'm pretty genetically uh, gifted, strong in the sense of speed, fast twitch fibers. Um, but it was something that sort of I didn't really enhance or develop properly until I was maybe 16, 15, 16 years old. So as I was a bit younger, I was sort of I was always decent. Like I, I'd, I'd sort of break into the realm of more jump space. So I was a bit of a high jumper, a bit of a long jumper back in the day, and uh, I was never really 
the quickest even at the club itself. So even came up being one of the smaller clubs, I don't think I was the quickest under nine, tens, elevens. My my first ever big win was uh, under fifteen. Little I state chance. I got my first win. I sort of uh, kicked myself in the gear a little bit and said, let's let's have a crack. But as a junior, there wasn't there wasn't a whole bunch of speed in those legs in comparison to some of the other kids out there. So interesting one. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, you've definitely made up for it uh, the last five, six years, mate. <laughs> uh, that's often the case, though, isn't it? Uh, your, your kids that are quite good at little laughs, you don't, you don't see them in their uh, 17, 18, 19 age group. So. Well, I, I suppose it's a very touchy subject in the sense of life, life takes over for, mm. a, for a lot of people. And I, I've been lucky to, I wouldn't say lucky, I've worked very hard, but sort of where I'm at now as an athlete. So sort of going through that. But I do, I do really understand where athletes do get derailed because there's definitely a time in my career where that could have happened and almost did. So I totally understand where that's happening. And I was even at sort of that, what you could almost consider elite level 17, 18 year old athlete. And I almost got derailed from it. So it's very hard to see. Obviously happens very much. You get to the 15, 16 developmental phase of athletics and they sort of lose yourself to life or other sports. It's just sort of athletics is caught in the crosswind and just gets taken out. So I, I understand where, where that where that does happen. And I feel it's something that can be addressed pretty heavily in... Because I suppose, I suppose you can probably attest to this. Athletics is seen as the, as the sort of building blocks for other sports. And I feel that's very, very much pushed even in the athletics world, that, oh, you're good at athletics, all right, cool, let's move on, um, yeah, from there. And honestly, there, there's, there's many a good pathways for, yeah. sort of, I, I, do, I do get that, and I've, something I've never thought of, because I'm not super physically gifted, I'm very genetically gifted in the sense of speed development and actual speed on the athletics track, but I would never really keep up pace with the <laughs> AFL footy players. So I suppose yeah. I see, you make a good point where, you sort of see that uh, other sports take over and life take over, but I do, I do see where where that does come from. Yeah, oh, there's so many factors. Seven, eight, eighteen girls, uh, job. It's the list is endless. The realization, the the training you have to put in to go to the next level. Um, it's it's not an easy sport. I think I think people struggle to people struggle with understanding that life is sort of a long-term fight and for me personally I sort of I sort of understood that but I didn't really understand it until because 16 17 year old me I was I was happy I was making decent money for a 16 17 year old living at home and I actually um probably the biggest thing I can push for young school kids is understand that education is a super big aspect of your life because I was 16 17 years old and not caring about school because I was making decent money. I was living at home. I was getting to at 16, 17, I was traveling around the world, sort of competing, going on like world youth. As you mentioned before, we, we went to places like Colombia, America. I was loving life. And I sort of put that in the back burner. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, there's many, many factors out there. And yeah. I think, I think sort of school is, is one major one. A lot of even, and I can't, it's, it's a really tough one to to understand because athletics takes up so much of your life in general. And at that sort of top level, like for example, I was away for four weeks in a foreign country by myself, first time I was ever away. And I was like, oh, could be home now with mates having a good time, 17, 18 years old, but I was away. 
And yeah. I suppose that's where the sacrifices. It's a, it's a risk versus reward curve, and sometimes they cross each other slightly lower than others, and that's sort of where that that's met, and where yeah. where people want to sort of give it up or keep going forward, and the majority do choose to give it up and move on to other things, which I can't really fault. Yeah. In general. So yeah. As an athletics fan, I'm I'm glad that you're uh, continuing on, mate, because I think you have a lot of potential <laughs> and you haven't reached what you're capable of from what I've said, but we will touch on those things down the track. So your your early athletic career was uh, your coach was Rex Morris, that's correct? Correct, yeah. So Rex yeah. um Rex coached me he was sort of the one that really backed me into this position. There's actually a photo of Rex and I, I was uh having a look at it the other day, I think it was from 2010. Uh, 2010, I would have been 12 years old. Went to Rex, said, all right, mate, let's, let's, uh, what my parents did at the time, saying, asking for a bit of help. Rex was the first time to sort of chuck his hand in the air and say, yeah, mate, let's do it, have a bit of fun, we'll come down. Um, and that was my one and only session with Rex until I was 15 years old. So there was sort of that three-year hiatus of doing nothing. And I was actually a soccer kid, so I played soccer from six, seven to... 16 years old so it was sort of there that time where soccer just sort of kicked in I just said all right no athletics for a few years and it's going to be a bit of fun with this and then when we're talking about my early career I think we can sort of define that as 15 16 years old yeah. when I really actually had a crack at and, and Rex was my first coach there um, between that sort of 15 to 17 year and he was the one that took me from 11-8 as a 15 year old where I ran I, I mentioned it earlier where I ran 11-8 when won my state title in March of 2013. September, October of 2014, I've just run 10.44. Yeah. It's, wow. it's a big gap and, and, and it's very, it's, it's pretty hard to wrap my head around now because we're talking 13 metres, 13, 14 yeah. metres of development. Yes, there's factors of me just developing as a, as a kid and actually training, but Rex being there on me every day, never missed a session no matter what, like he was always there to sort of back me up on what I was doing. It was a big, big advocate of schooling as well, which definitely helped during that period. Um, but yeah, he, he was my first coach um, until 2015. So yeah, that was, that was awesome. And he, he I, I think, can give him credit for basically everything I did during those years because he there backed me every day, sort of didn't miss a session, as I said, um, and sort of didn't push... I think at that age, it's very important to understand that there's other things in life, obviously. And as a 15, 14, 15, 16 year old, you push the importance of other things such as school, socialising, everything like that. So I suppose uh, having him there as sort of a guiding light going forward, not even just on that athletic spectrum, he was there to sort of help me out with whatever I needed. There's, there's even a photo of me and him in the Mercury. Where are they? Well, I think I mentioned in one of the previous interviews that Something to do with, it's completely false. I'm not sure what even how it came up, but something. I mentioned something about school and Rex didn't want me to come unless I did this and that, which he mentioned, but it was obviously never pushed. But they, they decided to come up with a few textbooks that he'd written and chucking down for a photo. So that was cool. That was, uh, that was yeah. sort of what they, they got from that. So yeah, Rex first coach and then I slowly, uh, slowly Wayne Mason and now Adam Larkham. Great, yeah, and yeah. I really liked how you touched on on consistency. That's the one thing, and and those values in having school as important. And when athletics finishes, you got to have something behind you. It sounds like that's what Rex taught you. 
Oh, well, mate, I'm, I'm the perfect example of not what to do during a 10 to, year 10 to 12. Like, as soon as I sort of started to see some success in athletics, I, I personally dropped out of year 12. Like, I, I couldn't recommend anything less than that to anyone. I, I, I wouldn't recommend no matter the sporting endeavour because I was, at that time, I was grade 11, 12. Year 11, I even started to slow down. Everything's schooling and just couldn't be lazy in general in that sense I just yeah. had sort of that that tunnel vision with what I was doing and even at that time I was the number one I was the best long jumper in the world for my age like I was literally at the top of my sport in what I was doing and me now looking back at it no matter where I was at in my career I couldn't recommend anything less to anyone and Rex again you can only push a kid so far and yeah. sort of guide them as much as you can but 16 17 when you're doing sport and doing this and actually doing what you want traveling around the world it's at the end of the day i sort of had my own mind made up as an arrogant little kid and just uh just wanted to do my own thing so i look back on that now and that's sort of the biggest piece of advice i should have i should have taken from him a lot more heavily Touch on the long jump a little bit down the track because i find that really interesting and that's an untapped <laughs> area that you can always come back to in mind um but so from this amazing performance at the private schools championship, you know, it's, it's, it's a really small event. You come out, you run 10.44. <laughs> I mean, the footage is amazing. You see it and, and you're not expecting this at an event like that. You, I think I, uh, I think I was running a bit scared. Mr. Tade, Russell Tade was out there, the big dog. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. I, um, I actually, Funny story behind that that not a lot of people, not a lot of people know, uh, know about. I uh, obviously in some verges until year twelve, um, year ten, sorry. And I was in a, I was in a house called Joyce, which was a yellow house. About three, four weeks, I don't know exact dates. It was kind of close to the Sardis event that I ran quick at. I rocked up in a yellow like tradie kit. Go out and have a run. I'd never like competed against anyone. I think my my most recent competition to that in a sprinting aspect was Jacob Despard's 2014 pre-departure comp for World Juniors where I had a run and he beat me by like four or five metres in the, oh, a couple of metres in the 60 metres. I was like, all right, he's running 10.6. I'm, I'm running 11.0s, I'm well behind him. I've got a bit of work to do. But um, I came out there and we, we got the film on it and I think I went 10.5 in in uh, just a local school comp. So I was like, all right, we can actually might be able to do something somewhat uh, decent here. And I yeah. came out and ran 10.44 and beat Russell. So I was, I was happy with that. So 10.44, long jump twice as a 16 year old is my first uh, 100 meter race for a while. So there's an interesting story to be thrown around. Very, very interesting. But I suppose, I, sp I suppose in that sense, it's just, Again, we could just go back to starting training and sort of having a decent commitment level to what I was doing. I I just had a crack and went for yeah. it. Trained, trained pretty, uh, trained a lot. I, I, I trained maybe sometimes a bit too much in that setting, away from what Rex was sort of telling me to do. I was just very keen to really have a crack and put some work into it. And yeah, it obviously showed off on that day. Yeah, oh, <laughs> 100%. And you, and you went on to win... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the under 17 Australian all schools in December. Something like that. I think it was the end. Oh, yeah. yeah sorry, sorry. Correct. Yeah, yeah. 20, 2014. Um, it was a big, still to this day, the biggest media event I've ever 
sort of been around. It was it was marketed very very well, and I think we can maybe take a leaf out of that book in how how to go about things. It was a lot of hype with myself, Rowan Browning, and Trey Williams being three guys that had run. I think Rowan coming into it had run ten three, windy Trey had run ten five, and just off the back of a medal at the Youth Olympic Games. So it was a big race going in. I had the quickest PB and 10.13 with a three-point-something tailwind. Big, big event. And I think that sort of catapulted what I was doing over the next few years and got me got me sort of to the top of the media pile in relation to young sprinters. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And I will chat about those guys a little bit down the track. So oh, chat about those guys. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I know the competitive edge you guys have and, and I'm sure it spurs on you know, what you guys are about and seeing someone else's performance, I'm sure that spurs you on. Mate, if I... Mate, I'd spit in Rowan's lane if he came too close to me in a race. We're that competitive. <laughs> but we're... Uh, we're, uh, we're good. We're, look, we get, we get along. There's been some words exchanged in the past. But we're, fine. We're, in, we're in a relay team together. Trey's obviously... Uh, Trey's obviously... Uh, Quit now to play rugby sevens, which again, it's, it's tough to sort of fault him and his decision with that. But sort of of, of those three guys, Ryan and I get along. We're, we're mates. We, we, we obviously race together in a very competitive environment. and We, we do our own thing there. But off the track, we, we have a really good relay, relay team going on. Like Ryan passes to me, Ryan's second, I'm third. We, we think up really well in that sense. So that's good and to have that sort of harmony. It's obviously quite hard sometimes to have the harmony when you're racing against each other at a meet and then, all right, let's throw that in around together as well. But we, we have sort of created that, that really good uh, synchronicity between all the relay runners this year. And to, like I live with Jacob Desler, for example, and he's sort of part of that relay, relay team going forward. And I think me and him sort of going into that relay environment, we love sort of travelling together as well, going away and having a bit of fun there. But when it's time to go, it's time to go. And as I said before, spitting in Rowan's lane, it's not far from the truth. It's obviously not the truth, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, sort of that head, it's sort of that headspace I gotta, I gotta be in when I'm racing someone like him because Rowan and I at the moment, sorry, Rowan and I at the moment, Rowan's 10.08, I'm 10.12. There's no real games to be played there. Like we're talking, uh, I'm doing this sport like it's life or death. Like I'm not going out there to have a bit of fun on the weekend. Yes, I enjoy it, but I couldn't care less if I go out to a major meet and have a bit of fun. Like I want to go out there and win. There's nothing, there's nothing else to it. I want to make the Olympics. I haven't put in six years of hard work to just fall short of making an Olympic team. I couldn't care less about Rowan, for example. Like, yes, we get along well, but when we get to the race, I'm, I'm just there to do my own thing. And that's sort of where that individual environment does take over. And you have to be, you have to be sort of very selfish yeah. in what you're doing. Um, there's no other way around it. In an elite setting in an individual sport it's very hard to be team orientated but we seem to make it work when we can but when we don't need to we're, we're good at not making it work yeah yeah <laughs> for sure you've touched on mate you, you need to be selfish in the nicest possible way uh because it's being an elite person as you said like i can't imagine but i can imagine being in your position and the way that you would feel, and I'm sure that Rowan feels exactly the same way. Mates off the track, once you get in that environment, totally different. Yeah, for sure. And just the environment itself, you got you got guys coming up, and there's no there's no room for complacency. Like you got guys. We're in an era of sprinters that we haven't really seen for a long time. Yes, we've had cricket guys. We've had 
Matt Shervington and Patrick Johnson, but we haven't had guys where we've got two guys running 10 ones consistently and then a lot of guys running 10 two and 10 three. It's a scary situation to be when, like Rowan's at the top now. Like, yes, I'm the fastest man in 2020, but who's got the fastest PB? And I, I know he's got a fastest PB. So I'm, I'm in a good spot where I'm sort of sitting in that second position and I can really fight for it. It's tough. It's tough, like, for the guys coming up. Like, the, the standard of competition is insane. Like, it's pretty, it's pretty insane to understand that, like, for example, we went to a, a meet in Perth. Rowan, 10.06. Me, 10.10. Third, Jake Doran, 10.2. That doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't happen in Australia. And to have that sort of competition, we don't have to travel. Like, Rowan and I, even last year, although we didn't obviously make it happen too much because there wasn't a lot of competition towards the end, we do like to have a chat about what competitions will work, where we'll be at. Let's make this work because we know we can bounce off each other. Like, yes, there's that, uh, there's that real arrogance and sort of individualization of what you're doing, but you also have to work off each other. Like, you can't go, like, you can't go to a meet out in country Victoria and run 10 o by yourself. Yeah, it's just not legit. It's just not possible. So that's where you need to link up and understand that yes, there's fast guys in Australia, and you need to work with them and go to the meets they're at and challenge yourself and I would never shy away from racing anyone. I think that's yeah. where a lot of people might sort of lose a bit of uh, confidence in themselves. Um, you, you do you do need to go into any races and have a real crack and understand that, yes, you might lose. That's the nature of sprinting it. So we're talking one stuff up means a three-metre difference in your race. Three metres means you're done. Like yeah. you, you thought of, you slip in that start by 50 centimetres, you're done. It's Rowan, Rowan has a really good article on it where he talks about sprinting being the pinnacle of sport. There's no room for error. There's no room for anything. So you could be working four years or five years in 2021 setting. You rock up and you miss the start by 20 centimetres in the final and you miss a medal by 20 centimetres. It's just the pinnacle yeah. of elite him performance is that movement of a nine-second race and understanding that. So, yes, it's important and I think where where we do link up well, like Jacob and I, for example, in the off season, we I we obviously live together. As I said, we we sort of did a few sessions together. Yeah, like and just hurt each other. Like we, we went out there and really pushed each other to the max. Like throwing up, but he can't move. It's good. Like it's really good is to have someone to link up like that. And on a competitive setting, like at a race, Jacob coming, Rowan coming, Jake Doran coming. Like everyone's sort of coming together and racing. As I said, we haven't seen that quality. Um, in Australia, but we also haven't seen the times where every all the best rock up to uh, national races. Yeah, like Canberra, everyone rocked up. Let's race. Let's do it. Let's just have a run. Times times are going to be good. Conditions are good. Show up, race. No one's shying away from that, which is brilliant. We even got yeah. guys coming down from New Zealand, like Eddie Nikita, flying down to race in Australia, and that's awesome to see. Just the competitive edge. We don't have to travel too much. Yes, like we 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 flew away as a relay team to compete, which then gives you that good individualized setting to race against some of the best guys in the world on an individual uh, standpoint. But in Australia, we have the standard here where we can race 10-1, 10-2, 10-3 guys week in, week out with no stress on who's going to show up. If one person doesn't show up, we have four or five other guys to come and race. Yeah. It's an awesome thing for Australia. And I think it's something we've missed over the last few years. And to have that back is really, really good sign for Australian sprinters in general, but more specifically that four by one relay team. Yeah, 
And and success breeds success, like you said. And I want to go back a little bit to your first world major event, the World Youth Games in Cali. How was this experience and what did you take from this? Um, it, it wasn't the best uh, racing experience for me and it sort of threw me threw me out a little bit, unfortunately. So that, that was obviously a bit disappointing with the actual standard of racing that I went in there. Again, I, I said before, I was a very, very arrogant 16, 17-year-old kid to go over there and just expect to win. I went in, I think I was the fourth fastest with the 10.38. I think I'd run. So I went in fourth fastest, didn't even make the final. Like it's sort of something really there to say something's going wrong. Yes, there's issues with, buddy, with we're in our off season, every other country. So that's not an excuse anymore. When you're at that elite level, that's not something you can excuse because that's just how it works. There's no, there's no room to play around with it. The only major event we've had in our favour was 2018 Commonwealth Games. But I suppose specifically from that experience, there was a lot of took from it. And I think I put things into perspective a lot. I wasn't the best going there, but I, I, I had a crack. I, I did this, I did that. And it's not about just for me going over and having a bit of fun as I said I, I went over there I learned a lot I, I took it back and just came back trained even harder and and moved forward with what I was doing so I was I was wrapped with that experience it also gave me off the track it gave me a lot of experience with my first time away from home and although it sounds a bit iffy but you're still away from for three weeks when you're 17 years old it's not an easy task no. um, you're away you're away from everyone for the first time it's not it's not like a super comfortable experience, obviously, but that gave me the confidence going forward that uh, go away and travel for four and a half weeks, I'm fine. So that was the biggest thing I took away from that. Not, not sort of a racing standard because at the end of the day, it's world youth. It's not the biggest event there is. The, the standard's good, yes, but it's definitely nothing in comparison to where I've been, like world relays and Commonwealth Games. So at a youth level, it was awesome to sort of get that travel experience and international comp experience. But where I'm at now, I haven't really taken too much from it. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you said, just a fantastic experience to know you can take the travelling part of it, which is quite difficult if you're used to a certain environment, you know, used to your track, used to your family support, and then suddenly that all changes up. Yeah, um, no, no, no yeah. absolutely. You, 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 you're totally correct because it's something a lot of people don't really understand and it does, it does take a bit of a hit and just, like, I know a lot of people would have something as simple as washing clothes like it's just it's some real world life experience but personally I know a lot of 17 year old kids would have done it personally for me at 17 I hadn't really learnt a lot life skill wise so I think that's something the biggest thing that being a junior in an international team taught me that you're on your own you gotta there's a level of um what's the word when we're, when we're talking about you got you got people looking in on you and making sure you do things correctly. Whereas when I'm away, I mean, it's on me. If I, if I decide to go and buy some chocolate from the convenience store around the corner, I can, do, I can go and do it. So I was 17 living in a 21-year-old headspace doing my own thing. So that's the biggest thing I learned and understanding that not everything... So not like I don't have all this support network with me when I'm away. Yes, I do have it. At a, at a push but I need to take some accountability for what I'm doing as well yeah oh, mate you would have matured just from that experience uh, I, know, I know if I was that age and suddenly you were overseas by yourself with a group of young people 
isn't it? <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And your progression continued on from this. So we're talking 2016, 2017. You went on to break Matt Shervington's Australian under 20 record running 10-2-1. Did you want to talk a little bit about this? Yeah, so that was on a, uh, a camp for uh, uh, in the middle of Germany in Mannheim. I'm, I'm, I'm talking geographical terms I don't know now. I have no idea if it's in the middle or not. It's in Mannheim in Germany somewhere. Um, where perfect day I ran. I, I was in really good shape. Like I learned a lot from the year before and understood the the benefits of doing the right thing when you're away on a team. I uh, I just came off a Townsville meet where I ran 10.31 with no wind at all and I just knew I was in 10.1, 10.2 shape. Very comfortably and I knew I could do it. So I held that form going through for the next four or five weeks. Came out in a meet in the middle of Germany, ran 10.21 in the heat. Um, and then in the final, around 10.30 something, um, into a headwind. And I was like, all right, I'm in shape. Let's play ball. We got this. We got, we got well, juniors in two and a half, three weeks. I it was really odd. The really weird time. I think it's something I've ever mentioned before, but about a day later, I saw a comment on Facebook on a post that mentioned something about make sure he does everything right by his body. His immune system's through the floor right now. He's going to get sick any day if he doesn't do the right thing. This is after I just sort of, Celebrated a bit, had some chocolate. Um, obviously not the body what's occurred, but I felt really, really sick. Like I was, I was sort of bedridden for like four or five days on end, and no good in the middle of bloody Mannheim. It was just an absolute mess. I was had a massive fever, so I was away from family, literally secluded in my own room for all this time, and obviously lost some some uh, uh, physical attributes that I'd gained over that. Over the past year of uh, pre-season, but it was just—it was a bit of a downer for me because I suppose I went there expecting to do really, really well. Like the year before, like the year before, I went there expecting to do really, really well with too high expectations. My goal this year was to make a final, go from there. So I thought from the final I could actually do quite well. I could make top five. With the ten twenty-one, I was ranked top five, and I knew I was in that shape because unlike the year before, I wrote where I ran ten thirty-eight months prior. I'd just run this 10.21 two weeks beforehand. So I knew I was in shape. Unfortunately, that happened. I don't really, can't be bothered making that as an excuse, but there's just no point for me. And I know I've sort of gone from there to the next level now. So although it's good learning experience, again, it's just, I can take that as really valuable experience going forward as an international athlete, because from there, I've traveled a fair bit um, on my own, like uh, with my coach and a few others, not in a big team setting. So that's a few little things that I've learned. Of the year. Great. And and your team relay did pretty well there, didn't they? They were they were fifth place. Did they make the final? Fourth or fifth, something like that. Yeah. Fourth or fifth? I, I don't know. Actually no, I think you became fifth at well junior, then fourth at Commonwealth Games. Yeah. But yeah, we, we we did really well. We went into there, I think we were ranked second or third going into the final. Um the USA chucked in Michael Norman. Uh, he's a he's a big big sprinter. He doesn't he's a 19 point guy now. But even back in the day, he had a 400 meter final to run. I'm pretty sure. And they, so they substituted him out for someone else. Then in the final, they chucked him in, and he sort of gained a fair bit of meterage there on us. So that was good. Um, but in general, I think for that experience, after sort of a devastating individual performance, it was good to be in a team setting again because there were some boys that were there specifically for that relay. So it was good to sort of link up with them again and get that training going. Yeah, 
Um, from what you said, it sounds like you've had a a little bit of bad luck, Hapik, and you seem to be hitting headwinds every time you race. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is something we'll talk a little bit later on. So your progression was going really, really great. And the next year, you you skyrocketed to the Australian Commonwealth Games selection trials. This is for memory. No, no, no. no. We we missed we yep. missed a whole year there. That's yeah, probably the biggest. Uh, uh, that, that, that's probably the biggest. Uh, I wish that year was just thrown off the map because that was. Yeah. Okay. I actually moved to Melbourne that year. Uh, at the end of 2016, I moved over and I was just sort of, I was just. 18, 19 year old that made, had some money. I was, I was happy just chilling out, doing my thing. I was getting coached via correspondence. So I was sort of getting that and that worked for some people. For me at 19, it did not work. I could not, I had no form of self accountability um, in what I was doing. So my Coach Wayne sort of gave me all these sessions. I was maybe rocking up. He knows all this now, but it was just sort of a, a weird time in my life where I'd just run 1021, Australian record. I was, I was wrapped with it all. I was super happy with how it went. Um, I then sort of came back, moved to Melbourne, didn't do much and ran 10. I think I averaged 10, 6, 10, 7 for that year. So I went from here to real low, real quick. And that that's, again, that goes back to the, point of how performance based 100 meters is because you can I think I moved to Melbourne at 62 kilos I was tiny I this is this is when I started with my new coach Adam Larkin I think I was 62 63 kilos or 71 kilos real quick we, we didn't play around Adam's a very he's a hard man but he's exactly what I needed at that point in time I didn't have if I was still in Tassie I'd be with Wayne old any day of the week, he's awesome. I couldn't back him more as a coach. But for me personally, I needed someone in person where it was, all right, Jack, I'm not sure who you're trying to play around with here, but it's not going to be me. Let's do the session. If you actually really want to have a crack, let's do it. If not, go home. I can't be bothered with it. That's exactly yeah. what I needed. That's exactly what I needed to just have someone on me that understood me as a person and that I needed that sort of guidance going forward because I was really struggling to find self-motivation in what I was doing. So having someone like Adam there who was just playing hardball with me and didn't let anything sort of slip. Adam's a physio. Adam, Adam's a physio and sort of a, a performance coach for some of the AFL teams back in the day. And he knew what was going on with me. So I suppose having someone like him was perfect. Yeah, great. And that's the beauty of having a coach that's one-on-one. You're seeing them. You're accountable. You got probably other people to train with as well. Uh, if you're doing a program by correspondence, that could be anything, and that's really really hard. So it sounds like you made that right choice in that year. And what happened over that year, mate? Did you did you get injured again, or the the, the year when I moved to Melbourne? Yeah. No, I was sweet. I was I was fine. I, there was no real excuses in what I was doing. I just didn't really have the passion for what was going on, and I just came off a really good year and sort of fell behind real quick and that's what can happen. I I lost a lot of ground on everyone and I was I went from I think I was the second fastest man in Australia at eighteen years old to I wouldn't have might have made a semi final with a ten seven in twenty seventeen. I didn't even rock up to nationals. 
Yeah. Like I, I just, I just, there, there was no point. Yeah. I, I wasn't in shape. I wasn't good to go. So I just, then I said, all right, world champs relays are on that year. The boys made it. I didn't go. I wouldn't have made it anyway. Um, and the boys went, I said, all right, let's have a crack, Jack. Or, you know, you're capable of actually doing something decent. And I came out and ran 10 2, my first proper race of the year. So, great. That's what happened? Yeah. Yeah. And did you, knowing that the Commonwealth Games are coming up in your own nation, did your hunger and will to want to be part of that? Do you reckon that spurred you on even more? Mate, I think that was the biggest uh, contributor. I think without that, I would have really struggled to be where I am now because I just said to myself, I want to, I want to have a real crack. I was under Adam. I just, I just done everything right that year, and um, I did everything. I don't think there was any stones that were really unturned. That yeah, I rocked up in shape to every race I ran out, and I ran quick. I ran ten two with no wind, week in week out. I went from a ten six ten seven guy to a ten two guy that was just winning races and it's just something that didn't happen the year before so it gave me so much confidence going forward yeah okay and now we get to the australian come off games titles uh you win your heat you win your semi-final did you want to break down what happened in the final i mate, let's go through heat because i heat nailed it super happy i um i then went in the semi-final won that i ran i just ran my quickest time Equivalent quickest time. I ran 10.25 with a headwind. That, for someone with a PB of 10.21 with a 1.8 tailwind, that, that means you're in shape. You don't, we're talking the difference in wind is about two metres. So we can, also, we can almost play around with a 10.10 to a 10.15 sort of run equivalent from that. With, with equivalent wind in Germany. So if we're talking equivalent of times, I was about 0.1 quicker than where I was at a year and a half before. Um, and coming into the final, I was like, all right, you've just, you've just run real quick. Let's chill out. Let's get the win. Let's be confident in yourself because I've just come off a year of no confidence. And just my, my coach and I still talk about this to the day because I went in there with so much confidence in comparison to the year before. It was incredible because Adam knows now how, how much confidence I lacked in the year before with it all. So coming into this is awesome. But... I sort of, I missed the start and sort of no fault of my training, like my actual training load itself. I, it was my complete stuff up because sort of changed around gate. Trey Williams, obviously a very known starter. He usually gets a jump on me by about a metre. He's just jumped me by three metres to 10 metres and I'm like, ah. In my head, first thing said, you've just stuffed this up. What have you done? Um, So I've done everything I can to sort of, try and pull that back in the in that time I've sort of uh extended out that leg in front of me trying to sort of get up any ground I could and I've strained the hamstring. Uh sort of I think I think I walked across the line twelve forty eight. I'd pulled my hammy about thirty, forty meters into the race and I was like, uh, did that just happen? Sixty meters out I was like, yep, that happened. Pull it up. Don't be stupid. Um and I suppose after that the biggest thing for me was then getting the call the next day driving from, sorry, two days after that final, I got a call from Athletics Australia saying, hey, mate, you haven't made the 100, you're in for the 4 by one And I said, no chance. There is no possible way after that year where I've just run everything, I've done everything right, I've just run 
And trust me, I, I don't expect anything. If I if I haven't achieved anything, I, I like the year before I didn't expect anything from everyone anyone. I did not I just run ten seven. I've done nothing. Um so coming into the next year where I'd just run ten two and the guy that they picked over me, I beat him in the semi. Yeah. Um in the policy there's a discretional reading where it says if so basically for the Commonwealth Games there's an A and a B standard. If one person has the A standard, that means two people with the B standards can go to the Commonwealth Games for the 100 metres. If only if people only have a B standard, they can only pick two people. In the final, Trey runs 10-10 in an A standard, which means they can select two more B standards. Pretty much, I don't want to say every race, because I'm not 100% sure, but pretty much every race I ran that year, I'd run the B standard comfortably, no wind, beat every like beat the majority of people. I'd run ten ten with the two point one. Yeah. Yeah. A, a win a win a win legal is time is two point zero. I'd run ten ten with the two point one and all my other races I'd run ten to low to mid with no wind at all. Yeah, well and I I then run obviously pull up in the final and I, I put my I put my protest forward. I was sort of do everything right I can in my turn and sort of put my case forward and then get a call a few weeks later saying, Hey mate, you haven't been picked. Um I was like, uh, I've been picked, why? And they said, You came last in the hundred meter final And I said, I also walked over the line boys, but see you later, no worries. So that that was obviously very disappointing. Um but it's it's a it's a tough one and, and nothing against uh, nothing against Josh we get along really really well so it's just disappointing sort of there's it, going to be two sides to every story obviously in that sense and yeah I I I don't really care too much looking back on it but at the time that was everything I'd obviously worked for I'd moved to Melbourne to do everything right and I'd done everything right and to obviously do the hammy in the final doesn't really help my cause but no. it's also a bit disappointing how they looked at the whole selection but. Water under the bridge, that's how it worked, unfortunately. That was two and a half years ago. Um, yeah. So that's just how it is. But, yeah, disappointing. But I, I still got to go for the relay. That's cool. How was that experience, mate? Uh, incredible. The best, yeah. the best racing experience I've had to date, and I don't think anything will ever top it unless we see an Olympics or Commonwealth Games in Australia. Um, yeah. the, the patriotic support from every single Australian fan there was absolutely insane. You walk in, you get the warmest reception there is and it actually gets you up and going. I'd run, I'd, I'd probably the quickest I've ever run in my life at that point, pretty comfortably. Yeah, so wow. I had, I had someone that made the 200 final on my outside. I was thinking, I think the lane four or five, I run past him, which should happen with the stagger, but I'm obviously moving. He'd just run 20 point and made the Commonwealth Games final. Yeah. Um, I was obviously in good shape. So that was, it was a bit disappointing knowing I was in very good shape and I didn't get a crack in the 100. But the experience itself, as I said, you're never going to get anything like that as an Australian unless you have another major meet in Australia because the atmosphere is what made it. It wasn't the competition itself. Yeah, great. Uh, oh, I hope, well, I pray that we get a world champs down here very soon. I reckon that'll be just as good. Say it again. Oh, like I pray that we get a world championships down here eventually as well. Yeah, it'd be really interesting. I'm not sure of the uh, logistical aspects of that and how that would actually work in Australia. If they can make it work, you couldn't think of anything better. I mean, 
Commonwealth Games was cool, but then to go world champs on a whole new level, like you got Commonwealth Games, world champs, Olympics, that's just how it works. The standard yeah. of competition and the, and the sort of, don't want to say respect, but the sort of respect that's given from athletes is that's sort of how that pedigree of athlete works. So that would be incredible. Yeah. Mate, even if they, held him in, if they held him in Hobart, I'd be even happier. <laughs> well, what's going on in the world? You probably, you probably got a pretty good chance, mate. So, uh, mate, just bring everyone down to Tassie, quarantine yeah. them. We're all good to go. <laughs> exactly. And on your current coach, Adam Larkin, what has he given you as an athlete? Oh, mate, he's a <laughs> he's given me everything. I actually, uh, I, there's not much more I could sort of lay upon him, but respect with what he's done because. He's the sole reason I've sort of run as quick as I have and his expertise in the field of human movement. Um, it's actually helped me career-wise, educationally uh, and on a sporting plane. Like there's, and all aspects of my life he's definitely helped me with. He's a hard, hard man and there's a times where I hate him just because yeah. he's, so, he's <laughs> so... He demands such high expectations of me, which I love because it makes me meet them. Um, we I go into training every session with him. It's, it's it's tough because not only is he he's not like a a coach where he's not going to really try and nail every technical aspect of it. He's going to come in and go hard on you. Like even if it is a like my hardest session is a uh, obviously not going to sound super hard to yourself, but at the intensity we run it at, it's very very difficult. We go three hundred four minutes break, 200, four minutes break, 100, four minutes break, um, sorry, then done. All at 100% of four minutes, it, it hurts. Like it's, 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 as a sprinter going at, we're going at speeds like 33, 34 seconds. Yeah. So wow. we're, we're, we're moving to the 300 sector. And for someone, um, the majority of coaches would just leave it at that and say, all right, Jack, uh, let's leave Jack today. He's, he's, he looks hurt. <laughs> uh, let's not jump let's not jump down his neck about how he's running but he's on me every step of the way with uh, what we're doing even in those sort of sessions and that that's sort of where I've built my biggest mental and physical resilience to the new training load and new training demand he's given me yeah great sounds like a really good relationship oh we're showing and showing this this last it's, 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 it's a love-hate one it's a, it's a love-hate relationship for sure yeah but that's <laughs> good though you can't you can't be your best mate because if he's your best mate, he's going to let you off, isn't he? No, no. He, well, we get along so well outside yeah. of track. It's just, he's, he's, again, like, when I say love-hate, I just mean, like, the, the standard he puts on me for sessions is so high that it just makes me not like him sometimes. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he, he's awesome. We, we, we get along very well. Yeah, cool. And your roommate, Jacob Despard. Uh, roommate, mate, we share a room, you reckon? No. <laughs> no, no Jacob like that, wouldn't he? <laughs> oh, I don't know, probably. He wouldn't mind that stuff. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, continue. So this relationship, mate, um, you're both in Essendon, aren't you? Is that correct? Uh, we're about 20 minutes north of Essendon. We're in a suburb called Laylor. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're out there. We we get along well. We're, we're good. We... um. We, he's very, so he's in a bit of a different training sort of environment at the moment where he's sort of trying to go at things himself, which is going to be very difficult, but if he can do it right, it's really going to pay off. And we've sort of, we've linked up for a fair few sessions. So to have him there at, for someone that 
like Jacob's got some balls. Like he he doesn't play around with what he's doing. Like there's no if he goes to something like he, he's got a heart in what he's doing. Like he doesn't. I've seen him at some sessions just dead, can't move. Like he he has a crack. Like there's there's no playing around with that. So to have someone like him at training sessions is brilliant. Um, obviously we don't link up as much as we'd both prefer being Adam being my coach and we do a fair bit of one-on-one stuff but when we do it's it's awesome and it's so valuable having someone like that so close to you um, in in a living environment plus on the sport in the sporting field like we travel pretty often together on relay teams or competitions we go to most uh, most of the same competitions and camps so that's awesome right yeah perfect uh, I reckon the living arrangement would be the best thing because if you're both two elite athletes living together, things have to be pretty uh, pretty down to earth at times, I imagine. There can't be any parties yeah. or... We, uh, we like to share our alcohol and chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> <You're right>. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Fantastic. no. We're, we're, no, no we're, we're good in that sense. We, uh, yeah. We know, we know when to really switch it on. So. since moving in with you you've been amazing help for him <laughs> as an athlete as well he's well, I, know, so I know that Jacob was a bit of a party boy there for a while so you've been a really good influence on him as well oh Jacob's his own man he can do what he wants but he I, I yeah help too much in that sense he I, I couldn't care less what Jacob does like yes I I'm not here to step on his toes he's a he's a big boy he can do his own thing but it's awesome to see him He's sort of stepped in from that junior, which again, we talked about progression. He, he stepped out of that junior athlete where he's the best sprinter in Tassie, running 10 sixes uh, as a junior, winning junior medals at national level for a Tasmanian. is quite unheard of. Like it's, not, it's not very common for a, sprint, a Tasmanian sprinter to win nationals at a junior level. Um, and he stepped out of that and has just run 10-4. And I think we can probably expect some much bigger things from him going forward if he, if he really has a crack this season, which he has been. And... I think we can sort of strap in and see something decent and potentially see a, maybe one house in Melbourne making up half a relay team. So that'd be awesome. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Tasmanian relay team, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and we've mentioned the long jump. For mine, this is where I first heard your name. I think you were a national medalist as a junior. Uh, is this something that you would love to go back to? Oh, mate, I'm not sure if my body would keep up. I get, I don't know. I um, surely. <laughs> uh, I, I really, I really don't have the answer. To that. It's funny. I went into a um, called Nats, where it's like a sport structure for elite athletes. 
after my really average year of 10-7, because I obviously got put into that system when I ran 10-21. Come in, the, the, the person at the time. All right, Jack, what do we think about long jumps? And I was like, oh, you're going to disrespect me like that, hey? You're going to really throw it out there that you don't, you don't think I have the capacity to run quick in the 100. Which I took it as that. But that's obviously him just saying, like, mate, you have the ability there to do well at that long jump. And Adam, that, I think that was the first meeting Adam as my new coach was actually in. And he was like, yeah, mate, we'll see what we can do with it. And we're just like, nah, let, let's have a crack at this sprinting. Let's see what we can do with that. Because we knew we could, we could really make that work um, at a good level. And obviously we backed ourselves into it and it, it tended to work out. Yeah, great. I mean, you've got to trust the process. You've got to trust the people around you. If they said that you've got over 100, and you, and you know it too. That's the main thing, and you've really got to work towards that. So, good on you. For... Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there, there is an aspect of trusting what you're doing, but you also have to understand what you're doing. Like, you can't just go walk blindly into the storm and expect something cool to happen. Yeah. That, that's, not how, that's not how this sport works. You have to understand what you're doing. You can, be, you can be the best athlete in the world, but if you don't understand your body, you don't understand what you're doing at training it's going to be really really hard to um to find that one coach that's just going to work for you day in day out like adam and i we talk all the time jack how are you feeling what's going on adam doesn't know everything about me so there has to be a really good level of communication in that although adam i back him to be incredibly knowledgeable in what he's talking about in regard to speed development speed biomechanics there still has to be a two-way street of communication in what we're doing not just mentally and physically and how I'm feeling about my body, but also what I think about the training program itself. So that's always good to have that sort of level of communication and it's good that we can talk about that stuff. Awesome point to touch on. Uh, I coach a few rec runners, mate, and that's my biggest thing is not, not having that communication or telling me what is going on. I'm, I'm not a mind reader. And uh, I think any listeners who are tuning in, if they hear that from Jack Hale, uh, tell your coach what's going on, you know, put it down on, in just a conversation, just even over a coffee. And, um, I, I know obviously along with a lot of athletes that are very, very good. Um, I know a lot of athletes in different sports that I get along well with and it's, it's just pretty similar across the board. There isn't a lot of, there aren't a lot of dictators running amazing sporting academies. Like there's not, there's not a lot of coaches that just, I just bang, do what I say without any outside source of communication. That might not be from the players themselves. That might be from other levels of uh, networking. That could be from their assistant coaches. That's why we don't just see major sporting clubs have one coach and, all right, let's all listen to Gary. Gary knows exactly what's going on. Let's, let's have open communication everywhere and discuss things because we want the best for those athletes themselves. But there, has to, there always has to be a level of communication, no matter where it is down the pipeline. There has to be some level of communication with athlete and coach. Yeah. For sure. Perfect. So, beyond 2018 Con Games, your progression continues. <laughs> uh, you, you get your PV down to 10-1-3 and then 10-1-2? 20... Oh, no. This year I went 10, 14, 10, 12. So yeah, close enough. Yeah. Um, so I went 2019, I ran 10, yeah, 2019, I ran 10, 19. So that was the first time I'd sort of broken out, got a PB, I was happy with that. But I knew I'd run quicker the year before because yeah. I'd just run 10, 19 with no wind. 
I'm sorry, with a 2.0 win. The year before I ran 10-10 with a 2.1. So yeah. sort of, you can work it out that obviously pretty much exactly the same wins and I've run 0.09 slower, 0.09 slower in that 10-19. But yes, it was win league, it was a PB. A bit disappointing because it was best case. That's where Rowan Browning ran his 10.08 uh, against uh, Japanese sprinter, Yoshida Kiryu, um, who's a 9-9 guy. So I think yeah. if I was if I was prepared, I just didn't execute it that well. And it's just learning steps. Like I was only, how old would I have been? I think 20 at the time. Uh, yeah, 20, the start of last year. So just little learning steps and just learning things here and there is just sort of getting me to the point where I'm at now where I'm starting to understand what's going on. Um, yeah, I suppose that's the biggest thing there. But 2020 has been, for me, put everything COVID-19 aside, um, my biggest year ever in a sporting sense. I'd, I've just run 10-14 with a 0.5 win. Um, you put that into comparative terms with some of my other runs, I've just run 10.05, 10.06 and qualified to the Olympic Games. Yeah, so wow. There's, there's no reason I could not have come out and run 10.0 in a couple of later races in the year, but again, Never knows. Who cares? There's nothing I can do about it now. I'm in a decent position where I'm 22 years old. I'm not. I'm not 31 looking to retire. Yeah. Uh, I'm. I'm 22. I have another year to build my capacity as an athlete and what I can do as an athlete. So there's no. There's no reason I can't take this as a positive going forward. Obviously, it's never going to be amazing because I could have been in Japan right now, racing, about to go to the Olympic Games, but. I can also treat it as, all right, I've got another year to train. I'm 22. I was never planning on stopping after this year anyway. So play on. Yeah. Not a huge deal for me. Yeah. Great outlook. And I think when the stars do align and you don't get a headwind and you get that perfect race executed, look out. You know, because you'll, Ooh. you know, it's just, it's their way for you, mate. I've had a few good races. Like, as I said, the year before, 10 19. Didn't execute overly well. I think, I think you're right in the sense of yes, let's get a 2.0. Let's let's think best case scenario. I just get a 2.0. We're a week out from nationals on the fastest track in Australia. Things happen, but I also yeah. have to look at it. I like to treat my races like the best of three or five sort of races. I don't want to. If I run 10.0 once, I don't want to say oh, I'm a 10.0 runner. As a sprinter, it's a it's a game of averages. You if you're a sprinter, you want to play around and run 10-1, 10-1, 10-1, and then pop out a 10 oh, that's cool. But if you can slowly bring that average down to 10 oh, 10 oh, 10 oh, we're going to see, as you said, stars one. We're going to see things happen, and that those things happening may be a 9-9. Nine, nine. Yeah. So there's no reason I can't see that happening in the next year and a half, two years. Yeah. With my progression, then, where I'm sort of seeing myself going the next year, I'm confident in what I'm doing, and I've just built up a whole bank of knowledge since I was 16, being thrown into such an awkward, awkward spotlight. Um, yeah. you, you, you learn a lot about life and athletics that not many people sort of understand. So I think I can take that sort of knowledge with me going forward to 2021 and utilise it. Um, I think I think the big year for Jack Hale is going to be 2022 Com Games World Champs. I'll, yeah, be, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be 24, four years, four or five years on Adam Larkin ready to really, really run fast. I don't think there's any reason I can't make, I can't run 10-0 next year. I, yeah. I'm pretty confident I can make that 
locked in Olympic qualifiers, can I five. So I think that the next year is going to be really, really time for me to run quick. And that's when I can sort of set my goals really high. Like when I say set my goals high, I mean be the first Tasmanian to make an Olympic final. Yeah. I, I've got to set things that might sound stupid to 16-year-old Jack. Um, that I said that to myself when I was 16 years old. I'm now 22. And every year it's become more achievable, more realistic for me. Because to make an Olympic final, I have to run 10.05, something like that, at the Olympics. It's yeah. not about running 10.05 in Perth against some Australian athletes. It's about running 10.05 in July, August in Tokyo. Yeah. There's, no, there's nowhere else that can happen. Like, cool, if I run 10.05, yeah, I might, might get a bit of attention. I might get a bit of that. But for myself, I want to make an Olympic final. And I think that's what that's going to take is a lot of, lot of commitment on my end, but also a lot of good management from my coach which I which I back I back into the hills with what he's doing he has a very good health background as a physiotherapist and just his general human movement knowledge of myself and sort of the the knowledge bank that he's built up has been amazing so us two together over the next few years I think it's going to be uh quite dangerous when things go on right I love the outlook I love how you're just not saying oh yeah I want to win nationals, go to Olympics, just saying, no, this is what I have to do. I have to be in the best possible shape in July. Racing overseas. Love I might, sound like, I might sound like an arrogant prick, but I don't, train no. six, I don't train six days a week to have a bit of fun. Yeah. You don't at all, mate. You sound like an elite athlete that wants to be his best. If I, if I wanted to have a bit of fun, I would have quit athletics four years ago and played social soccer. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's just how it is for me. And that's, that's the outlook I have on it. And I think that's definitely helped me. I've gone from arrogant to very, very confident. And I think that's, yeah. that's how I'm treating it. I, I have respect for everyone and what I'm doing. I don't disrespect anyone. But it comes to race time, let's, let's play. Let's have a bit of fun. I'm, I'm the first person to line up against anyone. I couldn't care what's going on. If, if Rowan's racing against me in our first race of the year in November, I'm not just going to have a bit of fun with him. We're going to go there to embarrass each other yeah. and that's how we that's how i want to look at it and i'm there to beat rowan by two three meters like i'm not i don't want to have just a bit of fun and just beat him i want to go out there and beat him like so i, I think that's right. the best mindset for me going forward and understanding that unrealistic goals six years ago are slowly slowly becoming more realistic for myself as a 22 year old athlete compared to a 16 year old athlete oh the development would have been huge i mean it is just by your mindset, by your times. Yeah, I mean, it's working, mate. Keep yeah, at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you feel the expectations from the Tasmanian fans? <laughs> mate, I, I love Tasmania. I'll be back there one day. But um, a lot, I just love, I don't, I think the biggest thing for me, 16, 17, 18, was I put, third party expectations on myself like I thought Jim's opinion from Bendigo Victoria meant something I I don't care about Jim anymore like yeah. no, I think the biggest thing that someone put in my position at 16 years old is I learned very quickly that most adults don't know what they're talking about and unfortunately most people don't learn that until their mid-20s so I think for me personally sort of having that 
outlook of expectations. As you mentioned, yes, I have expectations, but no, I don't feel any form of external pressure from anyone else to do what I'm doing. Like what's, what's someone going to say to me? Oh, Jack ran, Jack didn't, Jack said he was going to run 9-9, but he never did. That's cool. Yeah. I, I don't care about that. That's, that's cool. But I, I love, I love coming back to Tassie and just having a run because the, the crowd's awesome. I tend to, uh, I think I still have a fair, fair big support network in Tassie. So to come back and sort of race in that environment, I love and I haven't had the opportunity to do it for too long now. And I'm really hoping I can set something up in the Olympic year next year to come back and really put on a big race. I'd love to see guys like Despard come down myself. I'd love to have Briggs, Briggs back on. Great. To, to have Hobart Track Classic, Briggs Track Classic back on, I couldn't think of anything better for the sporting Tasmania and it'd be huge. You could set up an amazing exhibition for it. We haven't seen it yet. We have, we have a good, like the seating area itself. Obviously, it's an athletics event. We're never going to attract 10,000 people. I don't want to say never because we may, but in the current climate we're in now, we're not going to attract 10,000 people to come to the domain and watch athletics. Um, But we have a cool seating area where we can get a lot of people come in, have a bit of fun, watch and understand what the sport's like. And if I can be there and be a part of it, that'd be amazing. But I'm not holding my breath because I don't don't know if AA will put a meet on in Hobart. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to come back. but, But to your question, no... Sorry, was the question pressure, expectations? Yeah, yeah, just just probably expectations, I guess. Yeah, expectations, yeah. no. I, I put so much on myself, but externally I've sort of blocked that out for a fair few years now, and that's been one of the biggest moving forward factors that I've had. I, I never block out... I, I don't want to block out support, obviously. I couldn't think of anything better. But I obviously need to understand that this is very individualised and sometimes not everyone knows what they're talking about. And for me to go out there and do my own thing, I want to give back as much as I can to that. But I know to give back, I have to get to the top first and sort of really do well at it. And I need, I need to get there. And that's going to take me being very selfish in what I'm doing and trusting the right people. But expectationally from Tassie, Tassie fans, I, I love coming back and I love, love having a bit of fun at the carnivals, for example. Like the carnivals yeah. for me are my, my really one fun run of the year where I come down get to race in front of a home crowd that just loves the sport. Like it's actually incredible to just come down to heaps of people watching, cheering you on, um, just in front of people that love the sport. And for me, that's the only time I can actually get back. I, I generally only come back to Tassie three, four times, well, three times a year. And that's one of them. So to come back, I put expectations on myself there to have fun and win these races. And because at those, at those meets, it's cool. Like, it's it's good to show how, how how good you actually are because I'm starting at zero meters. Like I'm I'm well back there. Um, I, I want to run these guys down and put on a bit of show. So I'll put expectations on myself to compete well and not just treat it like although it's a bit of fun. I still want to compete well in front of the fans because that that might be my only chance of the year, basically. Yeah, great. And I know I love watching you compete at the carnivals. Mate, the crowd love you. So it's <laughs> Jack Hale, the favourite son, coming home. <laughs> oh, well, get him while you can. And now we're on the subject of carnivals. Your manager is Richard Welsh. Yeah, uh, yep. How did this come about? And what does this relationship mean to you? Oh, well, she's good. He, uh, sort of, we haven't really had the... Because obviously my media sort of profile is not... Obviously, the strongest at 16, 17, 18. 
So he was super, super helpful there. And we've just sort of been strong along over the last few years, throwing a few ideas around there. And uh, I've just said, I, I've gone from expecting things from people and expecting to make X amount of money, expecting to do this to, I don't expect to make this until I run this. I don't expect to do this until I do this myself. I don't, I don't want to put anything on anyone else because at the end of the day, 10, 12 is cool. 10, 12 is good in Australia. It makes me the fifth or sixth fastest Australian of all time. But it's also not an Olympic final where you can really start to make some noise. So for, for me and him, it's just sort of throwing some ideas around there, setting some things up and uh, making things work when, uh, as you said, it's over one. Right. Yeah. Awesome mindset. Again, uh, you'll get there. You'll 100% get there. The mindset and the way you're looking at it is brilliant. So you run 10, 12 at the start of the year and then the world went to shit. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> how is your mindset leading into Tokyo, whether that be 2021 or who knows? How, how are you coping with all this? Mate, I'm, um, I'm sweet. I'm, I'm good. I'm being really lucky. The track, my local SN track, haven't been shut down, so that's awesome. It's a good start. I've got all the equipment I need. Um, um, I'm not too stressed. I mean, yes, it's disappointing because they take top 56 in the world. I was sitting like 38th or 39th fastest in the 100 metres. I was, I was basically going. If I ran another quick time at Nationals, I was locked in, good to go. And then this all happens, obviously it's not so unforeseen. It's really hard to comprehend how to deal with it. But I suppose, I suppose the biggest question in my mind is if 2021 will still go ahead, like we, we still don't really know exactly what's going on. And that, that's actually, that's the toughest thing I'm sort of coping with at the moment is that I still just got to keep, as I said to you earlier, I'm not, I'm not overly fussed with an extra year. I'm overly fussed with not knowing if this is still going to go ahead. Like it's my coach and I was obviously had the chat and he sort of came in here yesterday and said, surely it's going ahead. And I'm like, mate, let's try and let's, let's hope, let's hope everything lines up because unfortunately it's obviously not going to be with where we're at on a, on the level of actual sort of treating this thing. We're, we're not going to be informed until a month or two out if it is on or not. Do you know what I mean? So it's going to be yeah. it's going to be really tough for that. But I suppose I suppose the good thing to note is by then, worst case, Olympics doesn't go ahead. We'll still have many other comps. So I'm not training for nothing. I'm training to hopefully run at the Olympics. But worst case, um, I don't even want to think about that because because worst yeah. case scenario worst case scenario is this year. Like worst case scenario is. Everything's done, locked down, bang, 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 all this. Hopefully, everything sort of goes to plan and what we're back on. So, if we're talking in that aspect, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. It's just, about, it's just about committing to the next year and understanding that this isn't the worst thing to happen. It's the, trust me, it's the worst thing to happen for some athletes. Some athletes yeah. are really going to struggle in their, if this is their last hurrah, this is their last Olympics. They're going to really struggle to try and get back up mentally, physically, everything. Um, but for me personally, I'm fine. I am rolling full steam ahead, training really, really well, and hopefully I can race in January, February. And how long away is that? That's not too far away. I'm talking four or five months. Yeah. So January, February, four or five months away, plenty of time to train. I get an extra year to grow, an extra year to build what I'm doing. I'll be 23. I won't be 22. Seems like a bit more of a developed age to me. Yeah. Awesome way to look at it. Like you said, yeah. there's more. Awesome. 
may not be the Olympics, but there's always something on. Absolutely, and there's always going to be something. Like even this year, we've seen, obviously, Victoria hasn't been the luckiest of states in dealing with this sort of stuff, but we've already seen other states open up racing. Yeah. So we're talking worst-case scenario now is two and a half months of sorting everything out and we'll get into some more racing. So, obviously, there's always going to be something else, as you said. Great. And what does Jack's life look like outside running? Mate, my life at the moment is pretty full on. It's good. I um, actually decided, so we obviously, I was hoping we'd get to this because we obviously um, we obviously touched on the whole schooling side of things and what I thought with that. I, I'm not the sort of person that can just switch off mentally, academically and just not do anything. So I, so I decided uh, 20... In the 2018, I was like, all right, this is enough. Not really doing much outside of athletics to develop myself as a person. So I decided to get into study. Um, and this year I've actually, so a normal, obviously a normal university load is eight units a year, eight subjects. I'm doing 10 subjects. So I've sort of taken this time to overload my, and do overtime. Um, so like at the moment, all my mates are off. <laughs> off on a four week winter break, I'm just doing another unit, so that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I just, I thought I'd take this, uh, take this time to sort of have a crack at it, because I know I'm obviously probably not going to get the opportunity to study more than full time again in my sporting life. So basically I knocked this year off, um, I'm into third year, ne- into my final year next year. So that, yeah. that's how that's going academically, but also, also run a really, so my, my goal, so I'm studying sports science at the moment. I'd love to do, um, I just love the science field and especially exercise and sports science based. Um, I run a coaching business called Hailstone Performance, which I've sort of built off what I'm doing now and sort of treating it like a, I don't know, I have, I have a lot of, I'm learning a lot. So I, I can back myself pretty heavily into the sporting, sorry, the sprinting, like biomechanical analysis side of things. I'm really, I think I'm quite knowledgeable in that sense. That's just from Adam being my coach, but I'm working with a few AFL boys, a few soccer kids. Like I'm sort of expanding my knowledge on that because at the moment I'm sort of coaching 10 to 15 year old age group and then a couple of older guys. My plan of attack over the next few years is to build that into a more elite, speed-based setting because I think it's very overlooked in team-based sports is the aspect of speed and how important it is not only for just getting from A to B quicker injury prevention and sort of everything like well yes we're trying to get from A to B quicker but we know that if we can clean up our technical aspects of how we move as an individual that can uh, that can stop or stop or prevent or decrease the likelihood of injury occurring. Like we can look back to my 2018 Commonwealth Games trials experience. That only occurred due to a technical error. Like there was nothing, there was nothing else to it. There was no mismanagement of load. There was no, there was no overloading. There was no underloading. We nailed it. I was in the best shape of my life. It was a technical error on my aspect. And I think that's something that's very much overlooked. So for that, that's just something I want to develop over the next few years in Melbourne to sort of change the way people look at speed in a sporting sense. Yes, it's cool to coach sprinters, but I have I've found a really fun passion for working with kids in team sports. 
to show them how they can change the way they move to get to the ball quicker, how to prevent injuries, how to um, increase, I suppose, their capacity to move on the field because with technical, as you know, you, you do a fair bit of distance work with recreational guys. When they move more technically efficient, their capacity to run further is greater. Like they're, Absolutely. they're running, they're, they're running more free. They're running nicer. They're, uh, there's just so much to that speed aspect of uh, the sporting world so untapped. And I think that's something I don't know it all yet. I, I'm building on my knowledge as a sprinter. I don't know. And I'm only a second year science student. Like there's nothing, there's nothing special I know about the world of science yet, but that's something I want to keep developing over the next few years. And I think, this is a very good time to um, time to learn, and I think that the fact that I backed myself into the corner and done um, a ten subject year, I think that's going to be really beneficial in what I'm doing, and sort of not only fast track, but also get as much as I can in when I have uh, when that can be my sort of secondary main focus. Um, so yeah, so that's how my life looks at the moment. Obviously, we've talked about the training stuff, but. Yeah. Full time study full time studying a bit more and a fair bit of coaching work on the side for a bit of bit of fun and sort of teach the kids what's going on. Great. And if you got a passion and a love, it doesn't seem like work either, does it? Oh mate, it's easy. I love it. It's um yeah. I love I love just having a bit of fun with the kids as well. Like they're they're awesome and they sort of I don't know, they they Again, it's a bit of an odd way to say it, but they sort of look up to what you're doing in your sporting life as well. Like they, they really want to achieve a lot. And there's a lot of kids here that are extremely technically gifted in things like soccer. Like I coach a lot of kids over here that could potentially be absolute freaks, but I like to talk to them about school. I like to talk to them about everything. I don't just want to say, mate, you're 10, 12, 14, 16 years old. At 16 year olds, we can start talking a bit more specifically, but the 12, 14 year old kids, we, we need to understand that there's much more to life and put everything into perspective, which is a lot of things that uh, parents struggle to understand perspective. People don't, people really struggle to understand that Jimmy at the little ask meet isn't going to the, like, isn't running for the Olympic Games. Jimmy's having yeah. a bit of fun. Let yeah. Jimmy develop as a kid. Let him, let him have a bit of fun with his friends. Yeah. Like, let him... get off his, get off his back. Like, there's no yeah. need for it. So, uh, and, it's, and it's actually quite sad to see that a lot because, you see it a lot, a lot here. Um, obviously, you see it a lot everywhere. And I think Little Athletics is quite... And that's, that's sort of that awareness people need to understand that you can't live... I'm, I'm, okay, I, I totally understand that it's an emotional attachment to wanting your kids to do well. I, to, I totally respect that. There also has to be a level of understanding that it isn't the Olympic Games. It isn't... They're just having a bit of fun. Let them have a bit of fun. We don't have to scream at them when they don't do well. We don't have to do this. We can let the kids have a bit of fun. Yeah. Uh, we need to let them be kids and let them do what they're doing. And that's sort of what I try and instill in them while giving them a good developmental phase of running mechanics. Yeah. Like there's, there's no reason that can't be implemented. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Work on the skill side first. Let them try every single sport there is. And then if they make the choice at 7, 8, 18 to... Specialising that one sport, it's their choice. No one else is. Well, well I suppose, exactly. You, you, you're very, yeah. very right there. But I suppose there are some kids, that just, like I have kids that just love soccer. Like, yeah. That's what they do. They're on holidays. They play FIFA for 20, 10 hours a day. Yeah. And they, okay. when, when, they, when they come to training with me a couple of days a week. But yeah. you, you're right. They may say, all right, 
I like running. I like swimming. I like boxing. I like football. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're yeah. 12, 14 years old. They're not 20 years old making sporting life decisions on what they did as a 12-year-old. Like, exactly. That's, that's not how it works. I'm just there to sort of implement, guide them in the right path as a person, as someone that has been there before, but also someone that sort of knows what they're talking about as a, when we're talking about speed mechanics, basically, yeah. sort of developing that in kids. Fantastic. Did you want to give your business a plug, mate? What's the website? Uh-huh. No website over here. We're going all organic. Hailstorm Performance on um, on Instagram. Great. Any, uh, any, any uh, I don't know. Uh, it's good fun. If, if anyone yeah. wants to hit me up, it's, uh, it's a bit of, a bit of fun. I'm happy to hand out some tips. I do a fair bit of, uh, I have a Zoom call with my online guys every Friday night. And we just, we literally just, I got to fair, it's mostly like 15 plus. We just chat shit for a couple of hours, go through all their videos they've sent me throughout the week and yeah, to talk about it. And I think they learn a fair bit from that. It's literally like sitting in a classroom that they want to be in for two hours. So. Yeah. That's the beauty of the world we live in, isn't it? You can just, you know, you can bring up a map on Zoom now and, and, and point at stuff and it's just great, isn't it? Absolutely. We, um, but no, like the health on performance is it sort of just grew from, again, it, it actually grew from exactly what I mentioned before where I said I was sitting in the, in 2018, not really doing much with myself. And I said, all right, what do you enjoy? You enjoy uh, running, you enjoy this. And I think, it's so common to just say, all right, I'm just going to be a coach, but I actually have a very strong interest in what I'm doing. Like I, I really enjoy it. I really, I really enjoy the kids I'm working with. I work at a few different schools, but I, I just enjoy the, the learning that comes along with just human physiology in general. Yeah. Understanding how, how everything works and understanding that I do not know anything yet. Yeah. Like on a, on an, if we're talking, someone like Joel Mason, for example. Yeah. Joel, I, I, love, I, I, love, I love chatting to Joel because Joel, obviously Joel doesn't know everything, but Joel knows a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know some things. I, when we're talking about, like, I, I really back myself when we're talking about speed development. I can, on a technical aspect, I believe I am quite good in that sense and can give a lot, a lot of guidance to people that want to, if someone comes to me and says, I want to run quicker, I can say, all right, let's do it. Yeah. If you want to put it as plain and as simple as that, I can say, all right, let's do it. Meet here. Let's, let's walk through it. But when we're talking about things that happen in the human body and changes that happen and this and that and just general human physiology, it's something that I'm really, really learning and really enjoying. And it's good that I'm actually enjoying what I'm doing at university. And it's something that I want to do because I know a lot of, I think it actually might come back to your point about being pressured into doing something. And a lot of, a lot of people I know are just simply pressured into going to uni because they think it's the right thing to do. I, if I was in a different pathway and I didn't have to go to uni, I, I would sort of understand that and I wouldn't just be sort of thrown into that, into that environment. But that's something that I've only learnt being in that environment where I've sort of been pushed into certain things and tried things. And it's something you don't really, know until you you cop it yourself and sort of see what's going on so i think for me it's just been awesome to throw myself into something that i've really really enjoyed and something that i can see myself doing for a long time it's awesome that you had that insight at your age mate i'm 35 and i'm only just getting this 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 year with the direction (laughs) i want to go so that's an awesome awesome insight so well done on that (laughs) i suppose um i suppose with me it's just 
this is something I've enjoyed, but it, it could change in two years. I could say, uh, I like numbers. I could be an accountant. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> but I mean, so, yeah. so now it's, it's been, and, and that's the cool, that's the cool thing about it. Like you can, yeah, you can do, you can do what you want to do. There's, there's yeah. actually, there's actually nothing stopping you from, well, apart from very few exceptions, there's nothing stopping you from doing what you, what you want to do. The cool thing about being an athlete is you learn how to get to your goals and how to do things because generally nine times out of ten, it's about how big your balls are. Yeah. Craig Montrum style. Absolutely. I was going to give him a plug after that, but good you picked that up. Like it's literally, yeah. it, comes down, it, it, it comes down to that. There's no, there's no, there's no if, buts or maybes about how much hard work needs to be put into. Free sport talking about running 10, 12, it's not easy. And that is shown from me. I ran, I ran my heart out for three years, got to 10.21. I then backed off for eight, nine months and ran 10.7. Yeah. There's no, if that doesn't spell it out to you, nothing will because there's, there's nothing that really beats focused hard work. There's a lot of stupid hard work. There's a lot of people that don't understand what they're doing and they just throw themselves head first into things without understanding the background knowledge or understanding actually what they're doing, which you do see a lot, which is a bit disappointing because some people, um, work extremely hard but not smart and that is so important in the sporting world is understanding just because you're working hard it might not be the best thing for you so for me i suppose having that knowledge of someone in there that knows what they're talking about and has sort of the educational background as well to sort of back himself up and has the experience it's been, been good great and like you said uh having that experience that you've learn along the way to actually recover and i loved how you said you had a day off on a sunday and little things like sleep and diet are you big on that uh yeah this is the part where i think i'm going to become a little bit scary to some, some people like rowan browning over the next few years when i can when i can really switch those things on all year round like i'm awesome with my diet in season um there's nothing that i play around with i know that it's so important but when i can nail those one percenters because only this year am i really getting I'm really throwing myself out there and nailing things technically in my running. It's taken six, seven years. <laughs> like it's, it's not an easy game and that's sort of something I'm really nailing now. So I think next year is going to be a big one. I think with that sort of commitment from myself, I actually have a really, I have a cool sponsor on board now. So I'm with my muscle chef and they, they sort of dish out all my meals for me. So once I can sort of load, so to, to answer your question, yes, I'm very, very big on nailing those certain things, but I could be better. Yeah. And that's something that most of the time everyone can be better in what they're doing, but I can be a fair bit better in those settings. Like coming into season, I'm awesome, but I can also treat that with a bit more respect out of season as well. And I think when that becomes, when that becomes like second nature, which I'm really, I think there's no reason I can't do it this year in what I'm doing. Like it's, it's just more of a discipline based thing. And yes, I'm very disciplined, but there's certain things that I'm still learning. 22 years old and I'm not, I'm not nailing every aspect of my life yet. So once I can really put all that together, it's going to be it's going to be very good. It's going to be very good for myself and uh, in, a, in a sprinting standpoint because that's so so important. It's, it's a huge part of the game. Something up your sleeve, mate. When you put all the jigsaws puzzles together and it makes a beautiful picture, Jack Howard comes out sub ten. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And I've, I've said very clear my goals. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it happen. I just gotta do everything right to make them happen. I need to, 
keep looking back at things about why, why I wanted to do it, why this happened, why this happened. Slowly putting everything together and understanding why certain things happen and what I can do to change. And it's going to be good once it happens. I think yeah. that's sort of when those goals will come into play. Great. And you, we've documented your journey from 2014 up to the present day. What is a piece of advice that you would give a sprinter or any young athlete who's deciding on what sport that they should pursue? What's a piece of advice that you give them? If you don't like it, don't do it. Have yeah. fun. I, I, I've actually, um, I have no shock value in what I say, but there's been a few instances where sort of some younger athletes come up to me with their parent and they said, I don't enjoy athletics. And they say, well, don't do it. <laughs> like, what, 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 like what, what, can, what else can I say to a 12, 13 year old kid that's sort of being pressured from their parents to do something they don't want to do? It's not, I have that perspective in life and understanding that this isn't everything. Yeah, and that's only that's only something I learned in 2018. But we've been talking about things from 2014. So yeah, even being at elite level for four years, I only really started to understand it and have some respect of my life after athletics. Four years down the track, after being at that high level for so long, so I think my biggest piece of advice is one: putting things into perspective. Um, I know that's going to be very hard for a lot of younger athletes, but enjoying what you're doing. Um, you might not be the best in the world. Like, set your goals extremely high. There's no, if you actually really want to have a crack in this, you have to understand that lots of things matter in life and not just sport. It's not just about uh, going to school, go home. Sorry, going to school, go to the track, go home. You have to enjoy life. You have to, you have to do little things. Like, you have to have friends you have to do this you have to do that you, you can't just have a one-dimensional life in sport but yeah. sort of dragging on there i don't because i don't want to because i think my piece of advice is if you don't enjoy it don't do it have fun yeah like that's literally all i can say to any young kid having a bit of fun in sport and that's i think that's sort of why you see and obviously a lot of the older guys they don't have the physical capacity to come out and run something quick or compete in an elite level at sport. But you don't see many older guys coming out and saying, I want to be the best in the world. I want to do this. I want to do that. Yes, that's because they mostly understand that they physically can't do it. But it's also to have perspective on life and what's actually going on and understanding that sport is a very little piece of it. Yeah. So just have fun. Do what you want to do in the sporting field and don't, don't feel like you're pressured into playing sport because it really shouldn't be a pressure-filled environment. It should be a fun environment at such a young age. As I said, I don't go out there to have fun, but I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't enjoy myself. Yeah. Like, uh, you, can, you can really mix up my words in some of the things I've said here, but at the end of the day, I, if I didn't enjoy what I was doing, if I didn't enjoy the benefits of what I was doing, I wouldn't be out here doing it. I'd be, I would have finished my degree by now. I might have might have even studied something else. I would have graduated last year. Like, yeah. So, so yeah, again, have fun. Don't, don't feel like you're pressured into it. Um, uh, family's important. Friends are important. Having a job of some sort, having hobbies, you usually find you'll be a better runner and athlete if all those things are all linked together. Like you said, one-dimensional. What have you got when you get injured? Your mental health is just going to suffer. I... um. 
I, I personally can't attest to, uh, I'm very extremely, extremely lucky in the sense that I can't attest to many big mental health battles I've had, but I can only imagine how tough it would be when your life is extremely one-dimensional in what you're doing. And I, I, I can't say I understand it because I don't, but I can respect the fact that it would just be like your whole world's crumbled because in your mind, your whole world's just crumbled. As soon as you put your whole life into one thing and that's done, where do you go from there? It's very hard to sort of build yourself back up when you've sort of chucked everything into it. So that's where I've, that's where I've really understood after my 20, it's funny how these things work. Like 2017, I ran shocking. 2018, I put everything together and made myself a bit more two, three dimensional. Yeah. There was three years there where I just put everything into one basket, didn't focus on anything, didn't focus on anything else, just athletics, 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 um, no real other goals in life, just sort of let's run fast, which at the moment, that's my main goal now, but I also have a couple of supplementary things. And I do believe in that, put all your eggs in one basket, but put all your eggs in one basket in the smart sense. Yeah. It doesn't mean that, if I say I want to put all my eggs in bas- in one basket, it doesn't mean I just want to run fast in life and see you later. That's how it is. If I say, uh, it also doesn't mean if I say I have a couple of baskets there, it doesn't mean I want to run really fast in the hundred meters, but uh, I also want to do the 400 meters. Like it's just, you have to understand that when, when you're talking about backing yourself for one thing, that's probably a bad example. But when you talk about backing yourself for one thing, you have to understand that you have to do everything else right to sort of build yourself up to that point, which a lot of people don't understand. You can't just go flick a switch one day and say, oh, I want to be the best in the world. You have to get all the building blocks in place. Yeah. And for me, I think I'm at a really good point now in life where I'm, where I have many things going on. I've got really good friend relationship, family relationship, and academic. Uh, I have a lot of academic things I can strive for. I have career pathways. I have, and then I have a sporting pathway that I'm really backing myself into. So I'm putting all my physical eggs into one basket in the 100 metres, but I'm also supporting myself around it. So yeah, I suppose that's the biggest thing. And, and, yeah. Yeah. and Jack Harlow, the sprinter, we all know him, but there's more to Jack Harlow than just sprinting. And sounds like you're finding your way, which is, which is fantastic. I wish you all the luck with your studies. Yeah, mate. It's been, uh, it's been interesting because if you if you had this chat with me at 16, 17, it would have been completely different. I had a, um, had a chat with one of my teachers that I still remember from U10 where she mentioned to me, Jack, you can't just, this is where I was like slowly, I just drank crickets and tambred, slowly stopped coming to school from no fault of my parents, just, just my own fault um, in that sense and just sort of slowly edging my way out, not really having a crack anymore she just told me like mate you can't be doing this I'm like yeah whatever cool so you look you look back on that now and it's like yeah she's very very right yeah although although <laughs> doing once it's just how it is and that's how unfortunately a lot of younger people think they think very uh uh tunnel based like there's no real yeah. And at that age, age, there's no real, you don't understand a lot outside that tunnel anyway. So even if I was to sort of look outside of it, I wouldn't really grasp what's going on anyway. So it's just something I've learned over the years. And yeah, thanks for the study side of things. Because like, I think I've really backed myself into that as well. And hopefully that'll, like I'll graduate, hopefully next year. 
and then yeah. go from there. That might that might mean because it's helped me so much, I might want to then look on to further postgraduate study and go from there because I've just had my best year after really my first proper year of study. Like I've just twenty twenty my best year ever by a long shot. And that was after I sort of backed myself into other things like study. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. I, I can assure well. anyone that asked me about it, it's not a coincidence at all. It's just how it is. Yeah. Like it's just as simple as that. Your life's more rounded, mate. It's um, you know, you still have the focus there, but your life is more rounded and that counts for so much more. Well, I suppose uh, you, you just have other things to look forward to and sort of have your mind off. If, if we're just talking purely about sporting performance, for me to come away from a track session, not just sit down on my computer and play Fortnite for four hours and actually come home and study or like tomorrow morning, I have a class at 8 a.m. Then I have training. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not getting to sleep at two o'clock and waking up at midday and then going to, going to the track. Um, yeah. I have a class flat out from 8 to 12 and then I've got to drive to the track for a four o'clock session. Like, it's awesome like that. And then, like, my, my, my typical day, like, uh, when I have uni, I'll have, um, I'll, I'll literally go to uni for four, four and a half hours and go to the track and then I'll do some coaching. Like, for example, my, my days off from the track, I've tried to fill up with coaching, like, just trying to do as many, many sessions as I can on the Sunday to sort of, keep myself active in that time and although we talked about sleep so important i it's actually helping me get in a better routine like it, it's, yeah. it's really it's really funny like that my life's more structured great um, and that and that's helped so much and i think the biggest benefit of what i'm doing is one being sort of having that outside outlook on academics on career pathways but also having the structure around my life of knowing there's more to my day than just going to the track and coming home Great answers. And your role models, who are the people you look up to? I think um I think my dad's a really big one. My um my dad struggled a lot with mental health issues. Um I, I probably wouldn't have said this five, six years ago when everything was uh sort of kicking off, but my dad's sort of the epitome of sort of really, really on struggle street and sort of coming out of it. Like he, he's been he's been awesome for me. Like his his support of everything I'm doing. Like my mum and dad have been incredible. Um but my dad specifically in the sense of his massive struggle with mental health issues from twenty five to forty five, fifteen. Anything anyone that knows my dad would say he's one of the best blokes you've ever met, but you wouldn't really know exactly what's going on. So that's so when I say I, I don't totally understand mental health battles in the sense of my world, I, I do understand and respect what's going on in other people's lives. And you have to understand that everyone's going through some shit. Like there's, there's just, just don't be a dick to people. Like we don't have to, you don't, you don't have to sort of treat anyone differently in, what, in what's going on because you, you I'm going off the question there, but I suppose just like my dad in the sense of understanding that there's much more life. Like he's basically restarting life at 54, 55 years old. Yeah. In that sense, that's incredible to see like him to sort of come out of that on the other side. It's been awesome. And his support there over the past five, six years, while everything's going on, it's been awesome. And I hope to repay him with whatever I can one day because he's been incredible support 
throughout everything. So his his backing, his determination through everything is one of the biggest motivators in what I'm doing. Right. And would you call family, would that be one of your values as well? Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it's actually been, I don't want to say it's been a struggle for me, um, this whole coronavirus thing, because that would be sort of, I would look at that. I know, I know it's not the case, but I would look at that as being somewhat disrespectful into other people's lives because they've had it much, much worse than me in this setting where I've just sort of missed seeing my family. In that sense, obviously living in Victoria, being all by myself is a bit, obviously very strange and difficult during these times. So having, not having really much of that uh, emotion, I don't want to say emotional connection, just like that physical connection with people and sort of sitting around having a chat has been really difficult. Like even when I've lived in Melbourne, I, I don't think I've been away from home for more than two, three months. So to now sort of be in a setting where I can't go home makes it very, makes it a bit iffy. But again, I, I don't really want to say that too much because I know a lot of people have struggled through this and I know people that have struggled pretty bad through this. So hopefully Victoria can come out of uh, out of whatever we're doing at the moment. I think we had 270 something cases today. So it's getting, getting a bit hectic. That's pretty scary. Um, Jack Hale. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, it's been fantastic. That's a good chat, that. An hour and 40 minutes. I really enjoyed it, mate. You're an intelligent young man. No, thanks for having me on, mate. I appreciate it. No worries at all. Absolute legend. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Brian I think you'd agree that Jack is a really intelligent young man and wise behind his years. I wish Jack all the best in his studies and breaking that magical 10 second barrier for the 100 metres. Don't forget that Everyday Lions has apparel available. So if you'd like to check that out, head over to www.everydaylions.org. And remember that we have 8-week, 12-week, 16-week and yearly programs available at some very reasonable prices. Until next time, I've been your host Brian Lyons and happy running.